Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today I'm joined by friend of the show, Berto, as we continue our Alien series review with a discussion on David Fincher's infamous Alien 3, which is currently streaming on HBO Max, HBO Go, and Cinemax. Berto, welcome back. Thank you for having me, man. No problem. I've been really enjoying uh, our series review, especially yeah. considering you had only seen the first one. So mm-hmm. in a way, it's more interesting to talk to somebody that gets to experience these movies for the first time. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it's good to finally get to a series, like Alien series that's been so popular. It's been around for so long that I've never mm-hmm. actually paid attention or watched them. It's kind of good to get around that. Yeah. And I mean, it gives me the opportunity to revisit the ones that I haven't seen that many times because mm-hmm. Alien and Aliens, I've seen, I can't even count the amount of times I've seen them, yeah. but Alien 3 and then uh, Alien 4, which we'll talk about next time, is are the two, rather, that I just, I've seen once, I think, and that was it. Yeah. Which, I'm interested to get your take on Alien 3, because this is a movie that I purposefully had only seen once, yeah. but in revisiting it, like getting this chance to talk with you about it, um, it's a movie that I enjoyed more than I did the first time. Mm. I don't know. I, I enjoyed this one. So I, as I was watching it, I, I uh, noticed that I remember parts of it. I don't know if I've seen it somewhere, but I, I remember like the beginning scene with the, the whole cow thing going down. I was mm. like, Oh, that looks very familiar. Like I've seen that somewhere, but I never, I've never, I don't think I've ever actually watched the whole movie. Yeah. So I think this is a symptom of being like nineties babies. And then obviously we didn't see them when they first came out because they came, this one literally came out in 92. Um, But I don't know, growing up, I always would see the, on TV before the internet, Mm. they would have these like best of moment shows, like clip shows basically that would either be like top hundred sci-fi moments, top hundred horror moments. And growing up, I would watch those because I wasn't allowed to watch these R rated movies. So I, I find that I'm familiar with a lot of scenes from movies. It's just, I haven't necessarily taking the time to see the entire movie. Right. That That's how I felt. Like I've definitely like some of the scenes I was like, Oh, I remember these characters. I've seen them somewhere, but I don't like, I've never paid attention to the whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That was definitely one of those, like at least for me, it was the first time watching. And I think we watched the special edition one, which was the really, yeah. so it was a really long version. So I guess it was longer than the normal, I guess you would say it's like extra 45 minutes. I think you were saying, and it was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was pretty good. It's it's different. It's different from the last two, I think. I feel like yeah. also the directors, they have their own unique touch to it, which makes it all different. I've definitely noticed that like this one's more of a gory action movie. Like the second one was more of an action based movie and the first one more of a horror based movie. So it's kinda mm-hmm. each director brought their own uniqueness to it, which is nice. Yeah, so just for those who haven't seen Alien 3, um, it picks up after the conclusion of Aliens with Ripley, Newt, and Hicks aboard the Sulaco, um, and they're in cryosleep, but their cryosleep is interrupted when a previously unseen alien egg hatches and the facehugger that emerges causes the ship to crash land on the backwater maximum security prison uh, Fiorina 161, which is a planet that's home to nothing but killers and rapists. Um, But as Ripley learned over the last two movies... There's more to fear than kind of man himself. Yeah. Uh, and you had said we correctly, we watched the assembly cut of Alien 3, not the theatrical version, which I had read online that this is the preferred version. Mm. And even though it is a lot longer, I think it's it's between 30 and 40 minutes yeah. of extra footage. Um, even in that length, 
it is a supposedly the better version because the theatrical version, um, it omits a lot of the extra footage that we see in the assembly cut, obviously. Yeah. But in terms of just being a more complete film and kind of shedding more light on the setting and the different characters that we meet in their motivations and character arcs, assembly cut is the one that kind of complements all of those more. Um, yeah. And I should note that an assembly cut or this kind of special version edition is not a director's cut uh -huh. because unlike all the other films that have a director's cut, David Fincher refused to be part of coming in and making a director's cut version because he hates this film. Yeah. Basically <laughs> he, uh, he basically like disowned the film what? over the, because he had such a bad experience making it. Oh geez. Um, yeah. So this was a film that took, it basically has the most kind of notorious um, production cycle mm. in that, I think it was over the course of like six years, them trying to finalize a story and a script Jesus. and trying to find the right like writer and director combo. Yeah. So this movie had a bunch of different concepts that a majority of them they passed on. Like one of them was bringing the aliens to Earth, no. basically, and finally kind of seeing what it would be like if xenomorphs came to Earth and how they kind of begin to spread. But I think Fox realized pretty quickly that that would cost way too much money to make. Yeah. Without, especially like in the early stages of development, a movie like that would probably be reliant on CGI. If you're mm. going to have like hordes of xenomorphs running throughout cities and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and then the, uh, the next version that they kind of shopped around that actually ended up being most similar to the one that we got was um, there was a script where, their escape pod crash lands or basically gets intercepted by this space station that's made out of wood. Huh. And they learn that there's these monks that live on this space station and they basically abstain from technology. They don't have weapons and they view anything that is like technological as being like the devil, basically. That's interesting. And <laughs> it's all about how the alien basically like escapes onto this space station once Ripley lands there. Yeah. And it kind of just terrorizes all the monks there. And the monks view this as being like the demonic apocalypse. Yeah. Um, which, crazy. I mean, the space, yeah, it's a wild it's a concept. Wi yeah. and, they ship out and of actually, wood. Yeah. yeah and actually they made a comic book uh, last year that adapted from that script. Mm. So it kind of showing you what it could have been. It's like an alternative version of Alien 3. Yeah. But aside from the wooden spaceship, like that is pretty similar to the film that we got right, in yeah. terms of we have this very isolated setting. There's no weapons. You have these, um, they're essentially, they're kind of like monks. I mean, they're prisoners, but at the same time, they are very religious. Yeah. And there's that whole religion angle That's tied true. into it. Um, obviously, it's different. We're not in a wooden spaceship. But, uh, I mean, this is, it's just a crazy trajectory that this film took, given what we got. And it's one of those things, again, that you and I have kind of talked about a lot in that, watching the making ofs of movies and kind of doing research, you don't realize how much effort goes into making something, no matter yeah. how simple it can seem. Yeah. It takes a lot. I feel like it takes so much energy and thought process and time. The fact that it yeah. took them six years to kind of come up with the idea of who's going to be producing and directing kind of thing. That's, mm -hmm. that's very, in, that's a very intense process for making a film. It's only, yeah. I guess, two hours, the two two twenty, I think it was the one we watched. Even mm -hmm. that, it, to max it out at two hours, two hours and 20 minutes, kind of intense. And, and the version that David uh, Fincher submitted is his final cut yeah. originally was three hours oh, long. Oh, Jesus. 
Yeah, which is just, yeah. I couldn't imagine this being any longer than the uh, assembly cut already is. Yeah, I wonder how, how off they would like, off the script would have to go. Like, I feel like, I feel like they were kind of pushing it even with this. Like it was to a point, like for me at least, it felt to a point where it's kind of slowed down. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, hopefully it picks up again. And, and it did. But it, it's definitely a different kind of movie. Like, like I said earlier, like they're all different, unique in their own way. If this wasn't, if this was just an alien movie, I think it would be really good. I enjoyed it a lot. It was good. If you think about it outside of the alien uh, series, it was a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. You have action. I mean, I think there's a first, the first movie we see where there's like some kind of romance between um, Ripley and another, uh, the other character, Clem, Clems, Clemens. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, overall it was good. It was enjoyable, but it definitely didn't, it kind of, I feel like it's slowly losing the feeling of alien and the horror that originated with uh, Ridley Scott. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I, I think I actually disagree with you on that yeah. just because I can appreciate that it definitely doesn't retain the feel of the original film. Mm-hmm. This is definitely Fincher's interpretation, I think, of the original film and yeah. that I thought that this kind of returned to the horror roots more so than aliens, obviously, which I mean, them not having weapons plays a big role in that. Right. Right. Yeah. There can't be an emphasis on, on action really, if there's no weapons other than Mm -hmm. like the fire axes and knives that they have from the mess hall. Yeah. Um, that they improvise a lot basically. Yeah. They have to improvise a lot, (laughs) but I think in terms of like the setting Mm. has a lot to do with it too. This just feels more in line with the original. Yeah. They swapped. Sure. They swapped out the, the Nostromo for prison planet. Yeah. But at the same time, like it has that same attention to detail in terms of like using the environment right. in a lot of yeah. ways to be like claustrophobic and dark and uh, repressive That's and true, all of yeah. these different things. Um, but I'm interested right off the bat, like how did you feel about how the movie starts? Because it's a pretty bold start to the movie in that mm-hmm. uh, Fincher kills off Newton Hicks character. Right. Yeah. Aliens. That was, I felt like, I don't know. I feel like she should have, she was kind of a big deal in the second one. I mean, to carry, I feel like he had to do that just to kind of get back to the roots. Like you were saying, like if mm-hmm. just to get back to the original feeling of, of the movie, I feel like had in the sense that now that you say that he was trying to bring it back to the original, it would make sense why he would kill her off because I feel like he could have gone like completely different way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that was very interesting. I felt like a lot of characters died off fairly quick especially clemens i feel like he should have yeah. should have lasted longer i feel like he was honestly mm-hmm. to me it seemed like he was a key character but i guess he wasn't to uh i i think this is a really interesting movie when you think about david fincher's career and yeah. that his career before this was just he just shot music videos mm-hmm. this is his first feature film oh, okay. and even though it's his first feature film it's so in line with his style yeah. that we've seen in all his other movies whether it's seven or zodiac or gone girl I mean, he has such a cruel lens with which he tells stories through. Yeah. Like, and I can't think of anything more cruel than opening up the film with killing hmm. Hicks and Newt. Yeah. Especially not only those characters being removed, but I mean, inflicting that kind of trauma on Ripley, who's basically been traumatized for the last two films. Right. And even when you take that a step further, like her relationship with Newt was essentially giving her a second chance in Aliens to have a daughter. Right. Because remember in the special edition, they talk about how, um, or the special edition of Aliens, that her daughter died mm-hmm. while she was in cryosleep the first yeah. time. So 
to kind of undercut her efforts from the last film like that is like a pretty cruel take. And it's one that even uh, James Cameron didn't comment directly on Alien 3, but when they were talking to him about it in an interview with uh, Starlog Magazine, they were kind of like lobbing softballs at him <laughs> trying to find out the angle that he would take. Yeah. And he was like, the goddamn alien wouldn't be in the cat or Newt. I would never be that cruel. <laughs> and I think that that is the biggest takeaway in terms of comparing the tones of Aliens and Alien 3. Yeah. And that Alien 3 is a bleak, cruel fucking movie yeah. compared to even more so than the original, mm. I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely, for me, it's a lot more gruesome. We see blood yeah. splattering. The first one, mm-hmm. I feel like it was so dark and you can't really... We didn't see much of blood splattering, although when he does kill the people, like he hits them in the head and there's a little splattering, but not as mm-hmm. gruesome as this one where, where the guy's like cleaning the uh, vent and he just rolls into yeah. the fan and just literally blows up basically. He's eviscerated. Yeah. Um, it's definitely got his uh, David Finch style of filming. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely, I think, yeah, he, I could see why he kind of wants to isolate Ripley again to being her put her in an environment where she doesn't know anybody. She's kind of like on her own basically. Um, which I feel like also could help bring the sense of fear of like not knowing she can't trust anybody that's already there because they're all prisoner murderers and killers and, and stuff like that. So it's like, she's kind of on her own this whole movie and kind of trust the, I guess the only person she trusts dies off one of the first few people to die. It was Clemens. And that was, that was the end of it. And from there on, she kind of has to use her gut instinct to survive this an, yet another alien attack. Yeah. So I think, and again, that's an instant, her relationship with Clemens is an instance of like just the cruel tone of the whole movie in that like she finally has some sort of romance or physical connection with another person. Yeah. It In Aliens, she didn't have a romance with Hicks, but there's kind of like that flirtiness between them that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And in this, she literally like, gets down in the sheets because it's yeah, been a minute. And, right. and I mean, within not that long of a period of time in the film, like that one person that she's had physical contact with in, mm. I don't know how many years at this point because of all the cryo sleep, yeah. but they're immediately killed right in front of her. He gets his head caved in. And that's one of the instances where Fincher's kind of attention to gore too is really yeah. um, at its prime basically. Because like you said, in Alien, we see some blood splatters and whatnot, especially when... Um, there's the chest burster scene. Yeah. But in this, like people explode <laughs> no matter how they die. I feel like they just explode with blood mm-hmm. and gore. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a different take from what we, we've seen the last two movies. Um, it's definitely unique. It's more modern. Like you can even, like you realize that they use CGI in this one. Like the scenes where we see, we actually first see the alien. Um, mm-hmm. There's more CGI, more digital. Like, I guess they're, they're moving forward with their technology, but yeah, in the sense that David, his, his take to it, um, to add more of his style, I think it kind of helped the movie make it more, more, I guess, more realistic in the sense of like when you get hit with something and like a body piece falls off, you're supposed to see blood. I mean, not mm. to the extreme where it kind of blows up, but like, you know, it's more gory, more, more realistic, I guess you would say. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I, totally. I, I would think more realistic in the sense that, a lot more blood would come out um, when someone does get killed or gets injured the way they do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's obviously something we see him continue with his films, kind of just the brutalness of violence. Yeah. And 
he applies sort of almost like a sickening nature to violence. Mm-hmm. And the way that he does violence in all his movies is very memorable. Yeah. Um, and I think even just a complimenting that or complimenting rather that violence is some scenes that really, again, speak to his early eye for making disturbing films that don't necessarily always show you what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like in the uh, autopsy scene with Newt. Yeah. We never really see anything being, uh, we don't see her being uh, dissected basically. Yeah. There's like a brief moment where he opens up her chest cavity mm-hmm. or something like that. But I mean, a majority of that scene is just capturing other characters' relationships or perspectives yeah, rather, yeah. and facial features and how they're reacting to him cutting through essentially like a 10 year old's body. Yeah. And we see like the blood draining in the sink mm-hmm. and we see progressively that his uh, smock yeah. is being covered in blood and whatnot while he's doing this dissection. And that's almost more disturbing than seeing him perform the autopsy. Yeah. Which, I mean, again, that's like a stylistic thing mm-hmm. that Fincher again, pursues late in later films, especially in like seven. Right. Uh, half of that film is grotesque, murder scenes but then the rest of it is people's reactions to seeing that Mm -hmm. violence yeah for me that scene when they were um opening up nude's body i felt like the music also helped so much in that just Mm -hmm. to sell that moment the intensity it's very like gothic look to it it's like Mm -hmm. you can see like he gets this tool where it's like a razor and he has to cut through the chest plate just to make sure that you know there's nothing in her chest cavity area and like mm-hmm. it just i feel like for me the music definitely helped in that scene that's that's like i think of when i think of that scene i also it came to my mind like the music the way the that made me feel like it was very intense very gothic there's dark to there's like a darkness to it um mm-hmm. yeah definitely i think that i think the correlation with the scene the fact that we don't get to see the body but you could see the expression on the actor's face and the music along i think that all played really well together um to help you yeah. sell on that the music is done by uh, Elliot Goldenthal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would agree that like the original score that he composed yeah. is really, really well done. And it feels more in line with, again, the original film, which kind of is why I feel that this overall mm-hmm. is a horror, more of a horror return right. for the film in that it's very much about the atmosphere and the setting itself and the way that that's presented and explored with the characters. But then there's some of that studio involvement in certain moments mm-hmm. that... I don't, I'm not really a fan of in that there's one, there's two or three action scenes in the movie or action sequences when there's this kind of like heavy rock Mm. that plays. And I can't speak to whether that was part of the theatrical or the assembly cut, but I just remember that being a very strange choice. Like there's the scene where um, a couple of the inmates attempt to rape. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's like this hard rock music that plays that's super strange and out of place. And then, Another instance would be when they're killing the xenomorph at the end or they're being uh, pursued by the xenomorph at the end. Yeah. There's another instance of like hard rock. And I was just like, like you said, this movie has such a gothic tone and feel to mm-hmm. it throughout that to have those one or two moments kind of just like switch up and it almost feels like it's changing genre. Right. Yeah. It's just like a little moment, two two or three little moments that I was just like, kind of like took me out of the scene for it a minute because seem- it was just a strange choice. Yeah, I feel like that. I remember that scene too when she was going to get like raped and, and when she went to pick up um, Bishop and she was get, she was going to get raped. Yeah, that seemed more of a, like an action kind of music that you would want. Like that's like if you're having a shootout, you want to have like a rock mm-hmm. feel to it. But yeah, no, that I remember that scene pretty well too. Um, but yeah, that I don't know. For me, I felt like that the most 
vivid one that I have is definitely the autopsy, which definitely helped with the music, the background, the instrumentals to that. It definitely helped sell the fact that we couldn't see what they're doing, but we, we were aware of what they were doing, but we couldn't see it. And basically the actors had to basically show it through their facial expressions, mm-hmm. which is um, definitely stuck out to me. Yeah. What did, uh, what did you think of the new Xenomorph? Because something that differs early on in the assembly cut versus the theatrical would be in the theatrical version, the Xenomorph is birthed from a dog, Yeah, which kind of explains why it is this kind of very fast mm-hmm. um, mutation, basically, of a Xenomorph. Yeah. But in the assembly cut that we watched, it's birthed from an ox. Yeah, it was and weird. Which is a strange choice. It's the only thing in the that's added to the assembly cut that I don't think they should have because mm-hmm. it doesn't really explain why the Xenomorph is fast yeah. if it came from an ox instead of a dog. Right. Also, where did, like where did it, that ox come from? Because, I mean, it looked very deserted area. Like, So that's actually something I'm glad you asked that because that's one of the big elements of the assembly cut that helps to establish the planet as being like an, it feels like it's a lived in space yeah. rather than just because apparently in the theatrical version, they spend very little time giving you exterior shots. It's kind mm-hmm. of like the spacecraft cr- uh, crashes, Ripley gets rescued, and then we move into the prison, whereas... In the assembly cut, we get a lot of these different scenic yeah. shots and it gives us a sense of the space, yeah. even though we don't really explore much of it. But then we see that they use these ox to kind of pull the escape pod out of the ocean uh, and onto the beach shores. And we learn through <laughs> that, that they actually have some animals that they use for obviously food, yeah. but also just in terms of like moving yeah. and salvaging parts and things like that. And that's a little detail that I think does a really great job of just instilling that this is a place where they live yeah like this is an actual place it's not a right it's not a movie set or whatever yeah they're kind of stuck there in this world because it's an, it's an abandoned yeah. prison i think isn't it it's like yeah so it's in a it's a backwater mining facility yeah. that has basically been transformed into a prison yeah and they said that there used to be thousands i think they said there used to be six thousand people there or something jesus and now there's only a couple handfuls of prisoners because it's they just operate the furnaces essentially yeah yeah, one one of my favorite scenes though is kind of cool where um <clears throat> where they do move the ox and then the guy just randomly finds the face hugger and he's like, "Hey, yes. look at this." And the guy just walks away and it's like that's the end of the scene. I thought that was pretty cool that or like cuz I was thinking the whole time I was like, "How are they going to be able to wrap around where the alien went? Who is who got who got impregnated basically by the face hugger?" Cuz we don't really get to see that and then we see that oh, it's in the hawk and the in the ox. And like mm-hmm. he, mo- they move the body. And he's like, "Oh, what about this?" And he's like holding the face hugger that's already dead. And you're like, "Oh, yeah. that's intense." Because like from there on, I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be in like an intense kind of way that he's gonna." I wonder how this, they're gonna evolve this. And I was thinking, I don't know if it's just for me because we've seen like the other movies like Prometheus and stuff. But like, wouldn't the um, xenomorph take the shape of somewhat related to the um, ox? I feel like it should have been more related. Exactly. Into- that's. That's why I don't think that that should have been included in the assembly cut. Mm. It makes more sense if it's like a dog because then it explains why the xenomorph is faster because it's being bred with another species that is more agile and whatnot. And we see that it has the characteristics of that. But again, yeah, if it had impregnated an ox, wouldn't it be more ox-like? Yeah, I feel like it would have super strength or something instead of Right, exactly it would have been a little more reminiscent of the thing that it impregnated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. And that scene that you mentioned when the guy picks up the face hugger, that's such a fantastic shot yeah. because that's for the audience right. because we know what that means, right. even if they don't. And it's kind of one of those little moments that really shows Fincher's able to convey these really frightening moments mm -hmm. within a setting that is like that scene is not shot to be frightening for the characters. Right. And there's not a lot of tension in that scene. That guy is just very flippant about the fact yeah. that he's holding up like the most dangerous species in the universe, essentially. Right. And the audience is like, oh shit, we know what this means. Yeah. So in that in that sense, like Fincher being able to show lots of little moments like that, mm -hmm. um, I think, again, I keep coming back to it, but it really is indicative of his vision and style as a filmmaker, I think. Yeah. But uh, back to the alien, the xenomorph mutation, what were your general thoughts on it? Because it is still a xenomorph, but it is different in some pretty fundamental ways. Yeah, I... Well, we get to see a lot more of it in this one. We really get to see how it runs. And like, we also get to see from the point of view that they see it, like they see the world, yeah. which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, we haven't seen that up to this point. Um, yeah, it's definitely- I really like that sequence. Yeah. It's like when he's like crawling on the ceiling and like following them through the through the uh, tunnels and hallways. Um, that was, yeah, that was pretty cool. But yeah, it's, um, I guess it's, I don't know, for me, it, it, the whole time it was bugging me the fact that it's not it's not more related to an ox because we're used to seeing that it evolves to whatever it gets impregnated so that that really mm -hmm. bothered me um the whole time i was like oh well, it should have been like i mean i mean it is moving fast because it's a xenomorph but i feel like it should be more relatable to an ox since it came out of one that's what right. kept bothering me about it but overall i thought it was cool the uh, alien itself it's kind of I like the fact that we get to see more. It's still same, the same, like the same, um, the fact that it's like very wet and gooey and like has all mm -hmm. this like weird, like mouth saliva. And like, it, yeah. I still like that fact. I don't know if I, I, I didn't, maybe I didn't pick up much difference from the other one movies. I mean, just in terms of its presentation for the most part, it, again, it is a little different, but it still feels somewhat in line with mm -hmm. yeah. the previous ones, which is good. Right. Cause you don't want to introduce something that is, so drastically different that it's unrecognizable because right. then what is the point of having alien in the title of the movie? Right. Um, for me, my biggest problem is, is that this in making the xenomorph that much more agile, mm. we get a lot of those shots of it moving quickly. Yeah. But the way that they did that is for me, looks super goofy. Yeah. Like I like the scenes where it's just the xenomorph kind of moving in the traditional slow, creepy ways that we noticed yeah, yeah. For, or that we've seen in the previous mm -hmm. films. And those are mostly tight shots or like medium shots of them lingering in a doorway yeah. or lingering up in an air duct or something. Mm -hmm. The scenes that they are like running on the ceiling yeah. where you see that or you see them running down the hallway. Mm -hmm. So again, those are shot with puppetry, yeah. just like the other ones right. were. But they shot those movements against uh, a blue screen. Mm. So that way they could speed it up and they can manipulate it to make it move faster because yeah. a person in a suit couldn't move that right, fast. Right, yeah. But then they insert that blue screen shot into the film. Yeah. So it just doesn't look very natural to me. Right. And it looks like CGI. Yeah. It looks like a worse version of CGI, basically. Yeah. Um, and then, especially for the assembly cut, they actually did add CGI. Oh, so they okay. CGI'd in shadows around the xenomorph, oh, which, really? I mean, for me, it just it's too noticeable that yeah. it is very clearly not um, 
a guy in a suit, which I know we kind of complained about that yeah. a little bit in Alien yeah. in that if Ridley Scott hadn't shot it the way that he did, mm-hmm. it would have been very clear it's a guy in a rubber suit. Yeah. Whereas I have the opposite complaint in this <laughs> in that I would almost prefer that it was the guy in the rubber suit yeah. because that at least looks more realistic compared to the blue screen stuff. And this is me being kind of nitpicky, <laughs> yeah. but it's just one of those things every single time they had to have the xenomorph run yeah. or display its newfound agility. Yeah. It kind of just took me out of the scene because I was just like, did it really need to do that? Yeah. Because it just sta- it stands out too much for me. Right. Yeah. For me, I've noticed like, I don't know, like at least the tail just seems very rubbery. Like obviously it needs to be more elusive because the tail kind of wiggles back and forth. But mm-hmm. I, I did notice a lot, the, a couple of scenes where it's like, you can tell that somewhat of a human like in it and like, it just seems very rubbery. Like the, the texture just looks, it looks cool. The suit looks cool, but it just seems obviously you need to fit a human and he has to be able to move naturally. But mm-hmm. I think to me, the rubbery part, like the fact that you can tell some certain scenes are the, the, this it's a suit and there's someone in it it's kind of cool but i wish they would hit try to hide more of it i feel like i really enjoy like the original one where we get to see we get glimpse of the aliens but we don't we don't really get to see full thing and kind of it it adds more to the horror of it i think Mm -hmm. but again in what you had said at the beginning i think that i agree with is that in those close-up shots when it's very clearly they've substituted out the puppet for a guy in a suit Mm -hmm. Fincher's detail to making sure that it matches something similar to yeah. the it's not the it's not the HR Geiger design from the original yeah. uh, the, from the previous two yeah. films, but it does have the same sort of stylistic elements in that it's very uh, slimy. Mm-hmm. It's always displaying those teeth and hissing. Right. And I mean, one of the best shots in the movie, I think, is when Ripley is in the med bay and she just saw Clemens get killed, mm. and then the alien puts its face yeah. right next to hers and it starts hissing in her face. Yeah. And then we learn, obviously, why it can't kill her. Right. Um, that's one of my favorite shots in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's because it captures the same mannerisms of the xenomorph, despite the fact that it's taken on some pretty drastic changes from the previous two. Yeah. I For me, I wish... So you, you get there's certain scenes where you see the mouth, and I wish the mm-hmm. teeth were more, like, sharper. It seems like it had human mm-hmm. teeth, which to me, it came off as, like, it, it just seemed way too nice of a teeth, like teeth set. I feel like it should have had like yeah. crazy kind of sharp teeth. It would have, it would have been more frightening to be eaten by something that has like sharp teeth for me. I don't know. He's got good blue cross blue shield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looked like, it looked like he got some like braces on or something earlier. Or something. <laughs> Cause it was like perfectly nicely set up teeth. I'm like, Oh, I mean, it looks creepy, but mm-hmm. I wonder what it, I was curious about how it would look if it had like sharp, like fangs or something like kind of sharper teeth. Mm-hmm. It would have been more frightening to me, at least. Uh, to take it back for a moment to the scene that you mentioned, uh, where we get to see the Xenomorph's perspective. Mm-hmm. When, I love that scene so much. And I think that that is probably one of my favorite first-person perspective scenes. Mm-hmm. I think nowadays, a lot of people, the first thing they think of when they think of first-person perspective scenes is Doom. Right, yeah. Because Doom has that FPS scene, yeah. that long sequence. But I think this film does such a fantastic job of really putting you in a xenomorph's perspective mm-hmm. without without like returning to that a lot. Right. It's very clear that it's only in that chase sequence within the tunnels. Yeah. And they don't kind of just cut back and forth between alien perspective and human perspective the entire movie, which I think is good because that would have gotten old pretty quick. Right. And so 
it adds a lot of extra tension to that chase sequence in that he's on the walls, he's running on the ground, and then he's on the ceiling right. and whatnot. And it's just a really interesting way to portray a chase scene. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that it's very simplistic in terms of, okay, it's a chase scene and you're seeing it from another per, uh, another uh, participant's perspective. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it from the hunter instead of the prey. Yeah. But again, just that detail and giving multiple perspectives of the xenomorph's perspective yeah. or multiple angles, like that makes a simplistic scene that much more memorable and a standout for me in the in terms of the entire movie. Yeah, I think that's so that's the first time we get to see that, or at least in this movie. Um, and I'm glad, like you say, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do it throughout the whole movie because I felt like I would have lost that uniqueness of like it would have killed the tension. Yeah, too. yeah, it would have definitely been like, oh, we already seen this. This is not nothing new at this point of the movie. But yeah, I'm glad they they left that kind of that was more towards the end. We really get to see like this is the first time we get to see what the aliens look are looking as they're running through these hallways because they move so fast. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I really enjoy that. Yeah, that was definitely something new that I enjoyed watching. Um, I wish they, I mean. Not, I don't know. I just think I, I liked it, but it was not, I'm not, I'm not like, it was cool, unique, but I feel like we've seen that at least nowadays we've seen that so often that to think if you, you have to go back in time and think about it, like then during that time, it was great. That was like, I feel like it was the first time we get to see from a monster's point of view for me mm-hmm. nowadays. It's like, we see it so often, like we get to see it in, even right. in the predator movies, like, they have this, that's true the new touch to it but yeah so what did you think of the new setting because this is probably one of my favorite aspects of the entire movie and it really lends itself to the tonal shift from aliens in that it's this basically like a post-apocalyptic landscape yeah in a lot of ways because they even say like outside the weather is like always shit right it's like negative 40 some days and then some days it might be crazy hot and whatnot um but in terms of just like this post-apocalyptic setting, and then we go once we go into the interior, it's very kind of industrial mm. and uh, decrepit and like oppressive in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I like that they, like you said earlier, like they kind of brought it back to the original one. I kind of like the fact that it's very industrial size or industrial style setting. Um, mm. It gives them because they don't since the fact that they don't have like weapons, it gives them more of a kind of not an advantage, but more of a, a fair fight because they can use all their environment to their advantage in the sense to defend themselves because they don't have any weapons. And I, I kind of like the way that it's based on, so it's a prison, but it was before it was a factory and it, it has like kind of this cool rustic and rusty and breaking down. Like the whole building is like kind of falling apart and it's messy and dirty and, like the butcher shop, when they get the cow, they take the ox to the butcher shop. It's like dirty and like they have all these tools. They look like grimy and like that's the last thing you want to cut your meat with if you're going to eat right. it. You're kind of, <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want it. It really, yeah. Yeah. No, it really does feel like a place that has been forgotten yeah. or it feels like, it's and abandoned again, we're, almost. yeah, exactly. Abandoned and hasn't been kept up to date on anything like they said the only thing that they have that works is like the thing that the computer system and satellite that they use to relay messages with whale and yutani um and in a way we'll get into some when we talk about some of the other characters we'll talk about their uh the religious aspect Mm. i mean this is essentially like a version of hell 
that these characters are all living in for inevitable yeah. or for uh, indefinitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, I just love the claustrophobic mm-hmm. corridors and perspectives, especially in one of the extended sequences when Ripley is hunting for the xenomorph. Yeah. And she almost like hallucinates it at one point mm-hmm. where she strikes the yeah, the uh, pipe like a yeah a pipe yeah, yeah. and it ends up just being a pipe because she yeah. thought it was a xenomorph sleeping and like these maggots fall out oh, or lice so or something disgusting. Yeah. And then, again, just that's such a brief moment. But there's enough of those moments cut up throughout the film that it really does feel like this decrepit falling apart place that nobody should be living in. And yet it's filled with these characters. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like kind of there. It seems like they were just there left to die because there's literally nothing to do there. Like they're just they eat and they kind of clean up. It's like when they clean up, it doesn't seem like they're doing anything because it's so abandoned. So there's so much space to the amount of people that are there that it seems like their cleaning is never ending. Um, mm-hmm. But back, back to that scene where you were just saying about when she's like hallucinating, I think after that, when she sees a xenomorph is like hanging on top, that actually scared the shit out of me. I, I flinched on yeah. that scene where she like turns <laughs> around and he's like right there and he like hisses mm-hmm. at her. I, I flinched. And then it, I think cuts to the other scene where I think they focus on Dylan and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great scene because mm-hmm. again, it, it's almost a nod to aliens yeah. in that it's very reminiscent of when they go to the power plant nest in aliens and you see the xenomorph like morph out of the wall basically. Yeah. And again, it kind of just instills in us that these creatures are so deadly because they can adapt to anywhere. Right. Again, it's another instance where the xenomorph is on in an area that it's not supposed to be habitable by mm-hmm. them and it's barely, uh, Humans can barely live there. Yeah. But again, it makes it the most deadly creature out there is that it can adapt to any environment and it becomes the ultimate hunter no matter where it's at. Right. Yeah, definitely. It definitely, now that I come think about it, it's like it's bringing you right back to the first one. Like you you said, I think David Mm -hmm. Fincher's point was to bring it back to the original one. And it does a great job of that. The fact that it's one xenomorph. And it's not multiple mm-hmm. of them. And the environment that they're in, it's very similar to the original one. But like you said, the Xenomorph is so good at adapting that no matter where you drop it off, it's going to, as soon as it has a chance to evolve, it'll evolve and it'll adapt very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest thing that I think returns us to horror mm-hmm. in that it focuses more on the fact that it's a hunter preying on the people mm-hmm. and that it's not trying to swarm you with a bunch of them mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel disposable. Yeah. It's empowered by the fact that it's the only one and it's able to kind of just ravage hell mm-hmm. against on, on to all of these prisoners yeah. and whatnot. Um, and that's something that I appreciate a lot more in returning to it for my first rewatch and that it feels more in line with the original, even if it's not as refined as right. the original um, and just moving away from Aliens, which is a movie that I love, obviously, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I I think of the original as being a horror movie, right? And that's something that I would like the series to return to, and we see that with uh, Alien Three, which is something mm-hmm. that I give Fincher a lot of credit for because, granted, the film had such a hellish production, the yeah. pre-production, and then going into shooting, they said they had like sixteen-hour day shoots on top Jesus. of the scripts still not being done when they started filming, like mm-hmm. constantly rewriting and all these things. Yeah, for him to be able to capture, and again, we're talking about the assembly cut, not the theatrical version. Yeah, but the fact that they were able to assemble enough parts that 
connect in a really satisfying way for me mm-hmm. in terms of like the setting and the tone and these things. Yeah. Um, I just appreciate it so much more uh, on a rewatch. Yeah. Some, something that I noticed when I was watching the, the original, like the credits when they were in the beginning of the movie that Sigourney Weaver is part of the co-producer. I didn't know, I didn't mm-hmm. know that. I wonder what, what, was, yeah. I wonder what her take was on like, what, what was her like job? I guess her addition to the movie would be, I'm curious. I to think see part that. of it, Part of it was like instilling that Ripley's character did not become someone that w- that you couldn't recognize. Oh, okay. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That That's just a guess on right. my part because I'm pretty sure she's a producer on the fourth one as well. Oh, is she? That she came, yeah, that uh-huh. she came back for. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I would assume in some capacity it was just she wanted to – she also has a monetary investment in the film. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's true. You want it – it carries a certain amount of weight and if – they're going to throw money at another sequel. Like you might, you probably want to get in on that on top of whatever the salary is that you're taking. That's true. Yeah. But, uh, sorry, I I would say, say that, um, yeah, I guess she would own, she would just want to keep the Ripley character as the original one. That would make sense. This is something I noticed. I was like, huh? Yeah, no. And I mean, her character has a lot of growth, but at the same time, she's very recognizable. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she doesn't completely change overnight yeah. or over the course of the last film. Like it's more about her character growing than changing. Yeah. I feel like it's key. I feel like, yeah, she's definitely the key component in the movie mm-hmm. other than the Xenomorph. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of talking about Ripley, uh, were there any characters that left an impression on you other than Ripley? Because of course, Ripley kind of the cruelty that is applied to her character yeah. is it results in us seeing her being very traumatized again, almost like it's the first film all over again in that she had this kind of surrogate family that she lost. Mm. And now it's all about her being in this inherently hostile setting. Like the one guy at the beginning of the film, the warden talks about how uh, these men basically can't control themselves around a woman. And it's like, everybody is hostile towards her from the beginning other than Clemens. Yeah. Um, but were there any other characters that really stood out to you? For me, uh, I think Clemens for the whole the whole time of the movie, I thought Clemens was like a robot. I thought he was a droid for some reason. Just the way the actor yep. was, like just the way he was acting, very cold, very like not showing much emotion. To me, mm-hmm. I thought that was like an android or something. I was like, huh, this guy's got to be an android. I, I would think they would have brought back the android like at one point, mm-hmm. but no, I mean, but I really enjoyed, yeah, I like the the connection that they had. Cause he was just there because he couldn't find, I think he just, he had poisoned someone or he had kind of written a script, right? A, a script yeah. So doctor. he was, I think he was drunk yeah, or high or something. And there was an accident and they brought in a lot of people that needed to be treated mm-hmm. and he misprescribed yeah. a bunch of people. So I think they said like 11 people died or something like that. And he had to serve seven years mm. and then he ended up just staying there. Yeah. Cause that's like the only place they were going to, I was going to be hired, I think, or something like that. Right. Exactly. Cause he had his uh, license revoked down to some lesser status. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that was probably, I feel like that's the only character in that whole prison that was innocent, I guess, in a sense, like it, he didn't murder anybody. Like he didn't mean to at least yeah. his, his, he's essentially an angel amongst the yeah, other. Convicts. Right. Cause every other, every other guy has like some, like Dylan, we, he becomes one of the main characters, but he also murdered and raped people. Yeah. It's crazy to think about it. Cause if you look yeah. at him throughout the whole movie, he seems like a saint compared to all the other guys. Yeah. Cause you can look at the other guy's face and you can tell that guy definitely murdered someone. 
Uh, yeah. Like Golic. Yeah, Golic is a crazy actor, yeah. Or, or the Which is crazy yeah. because they uh Golic is presented almost as if he's like a dunce or an idiot. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that he's like the most dangerous person in the prison. Yeah. Uh, and he's also one of the characters that in the theatrical version, mm. after he sees the quote unquote dragon, yeah. which he refers to the xenomorph as, in the theatrical version, he just disappears apparently. What? When they put him in the straitjacket, yeah. they just never show him in the movie again. Huh. Whereas in the assembly cut, he's in. he becomes the antagonist of the film basically right. in that he releases the xenomorph after they capture it and uh, even kills a character and knocks one of the characters out. Yeah. Um, again, that's one of those moments in the that I really think makes the assembly cut shine in mm-hmm. that even though I haven't seen the theatrical cut, I would still, if I watched it, I'd be like, well, what the, yeah. where the fuck did these people go? You right. just, they just disappear, which was one of the complaints of the theatrical version mm-hmm. apparently was there's just all these loose threads that are never connected. Yeah. And while the assembly cut is fairly lengthy at the same time, it does connect a lot of these different threads. Right. But uh, yeah, I really liked Clemens character. Um, I think he gives a good balance. Yeah. And again, he is portrayed essentially as like the angel amongst right. the devils that are there. Um, but for me also, I really liked Mr. Dillon, yeah. uh, played by Charles S. Dutton, who, like you said, he's presented as being this, um, as like he's this like imposing priest, religious yeah. leader yeah. Then you assume initially that he's a saint or he is in charge of these people because he is the purest of them. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he meets Ripley and she tries to like warm up to him and thank him, he's immediately, is just like, I'm a murderer and a rapist. You don't want to know me. Yeah. And it really presents his character is very complex as a lot of the characters are in that these are not good people. Yeah. And they're not, they don't get really redemption for, their actions because I mean, yeah, nothing is going to give you redemption if you're a murderer and a rapist. Right. But at the same time, like it shows character growth in terms of his arc where he goes from being very cold to being the Ripley savior mm. at one point when the inmates try to rape Ripley. Right. Po- uh, once that initial moment is over and he shows up with the pipe, like yeah. that's an awesome scene where he beats the fuck out of those guys. Yeah. And he, I think he describes it as like reeducating the brothers. Yeah. Yeah, and they refer to everybody in the prison as a brother because yeah. they're uh, part of this basically religious group that's right. like monks. Um, but that's such an awesome moment because it shows you that, yeah, he's this probably an awful person, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he is has some growth to his character, right. which makes you feel conflicted and about him. Yeah. And he's a very complex character and, and essentially makes him more interesting. Yeah. I, I So going back to where when he first met uh, Ripley, I really liked the part where there, he's like telling you like, I'm a rapist and murder of woman. And she goes, and Ripley goes, I might make me, I must make you nervous then. And I was like, Oh mm-hmm. shit. Like that. I don't know. Yeah. For some reason that line got to me. I was like, damn. And then she just kind of like put her food down and just sat there. And everybody was staring at her like, Holy shit. Like, who's this chick? You just showed up out of nowhere. I, was, I thought that was a, such a like cool line. Like just like that one little line that was like, it kind of set the mood, like she, or I like, set the tone for her character throughout the movie. It's just mm-hmm. like, I don't care. Like I've seen worse than all these human beings. Like Ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's why that line has so much weight in mm-hmm. that. She survived two xenomorph attacks yeah. over the last two films. Like, I don't care if I'm in a, a room full of hostile men that want to murder me or, and whatnot. Yeah. It's like, I've faced off against worse. There's worse things in this world than you men. Right. And uh, I mean, that scene is kind of similar to in the beginning of Aliens. It has a different, obviously, uh, 
connotations mm-hmm. and whatnot, but it's kind of like when Ripley asks um, Apone and Hicks, like, what can I do to help? And he's like, I don't know. What can you do? Yeah. And then she uses the freeloader to, to, and she knows how to do everything. And she's like, where do you want it? Oh, like, yeah. That's another one of those little moments where it's just like, it shows her growth from mm-hmm. the first film where, I mean, she's terrified. She's terrified a lot in the right. series, but it's just like, she's at her wits end yeah. in the original film and almost doesn't know what to do for a majority of the film. Mm-hmm. But then it shows through her experiences, she's really learning how to adapt almost like the Xenomorphs yeah. do in this constantly ever evolving hostile world that the settings change, but it seems like no matter where she goes, there's a hostile group of people that are, uh, that mean her ill will. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of just shows that she's not just like a person that just there for like, Mm-hmm. That that's useless. She really, it, it, like you said, she adapts like the xenomorph, and she she has grown from the original to the second to the third one. Each each movie, she's grown more. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one of those characters that obviously it's it's the main character, but I'm glad that they are slowly growing her out throughout the movie in the series because like I feel like it could have been like oh she's just another lucky survivor had mm-hmm. she not has she not like developed herself and being able to defend and use weapons and now we get to see back to her how basically back to um improvising to survive at this point in the movie yeah yeah definitely and i mean she never becomes an ultimate badass warrior right. too you know what i mean like that seems like a natural progression mm-hmm. but i'm glad that they avoid that because then that kind of mutes all of the tension and horror elements like that's that's partially about what about aliens um, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of in that it loses all the horror. Like it mm. replaces that with tent with terror, the yeah. idea that you're going to get swarmed by these xenomorphs. Yeah. But at the same time, like everything is less scary if you have a gun mm-hmm. basically. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like why in most horror movies, the protagonists don't have guns. Cause it's like, well, if a guy came in with a knife, I just blow his head off or whatever. Right. So in this, not only do they not have weapons, but also like, even she's still not impervious to being hurt, which we learn in that she was originally impregnated in the beginning of the film was impregnated by a face. Yeah. Which did you see that coming? I no, but I noticed, I noticed as soon as the Xenomorph pulled up to her, like I was like, huh, some sketchy's going on here. And I also mm-hmm. wish that they had shown more of that. How'd she become impregnated? I, like mm-hmm. we kind of get the, the, I think they tell it how it happened. Like she could have gone through the cryovac, whatever she could have gone mm-hmm. impregnated, but I wish they had shown her the moment of, or something like that. Like where, cause like, I feel like it's just like a, like, like a gap. Like, you, Oh yeah. We just, she gets scanned and we know that she is impregnated, but how did it happen? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I wish they would explain more of that, how it went about to be. Yeah. I, I think the assumption is, is that uh, the glass on her cryopod mm-hmm. cracked as well. Yeah. Because, newts did mm-hmm. and that resulted in in a face hugger getting onto her yeah but uh yeah i mean i think that that's an interesting development just because you assume that this is like the end of the character yeah. but at the same time it's not just like her uh, woe is me for the last 30 minutes of the film mm-hmm. like she's able to use that against the xenomorph right the xenomorph's unwillingness to kill her because she I think she just assumes she doesn't really know, but she assumes that it's going to be a queen right, because yeah. she's a female host. Yeah. And so in that, she's able to use that against the xenomorph itself. And then we see, obviously, at the end, she sacrifices herself to ensure yeah. that the xenomorph what? race essentially can't be spread or can't be captured by uh, 
whale in Yutani. Yeah, that, that's also another thing that bothered me. It's like, how does she know it's a queen? Because we've had females where, in, in the second one, I think there's females who have been impregnated and they just come out of xenomorph. So it's like, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like they should have explained a little more of that from my, in my point of view. Or had they like kind of wrapped around. Uh, yeah, it's still one of the things like, how does she get impregnated is what I'm, I wish they'd explain more about. But yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you think about just her getting killed off at the end? Yeah, I'm... Well, you said there, well, there's a fourth one, so I'm curious how right. they're going to bring her back. Is she going to be like a android kind of robot or what? Like, I'm curious to see how that. I feel like that would have been the end of the series because, like, obviously the main mm-hmm. character right. died. So I'm I'm curious to see how that's going to roll into the fourth one. Yeah, again, I only saw Alien Resurrection once, I think, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's some. I'm not going to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Actually, never mind. I was going to give you a hint, but yeah. I'll I'll let it be more of a surprise for you, but. Um, I'll be interested to see because I don't even remember necessarily all the specifics. I remember a couple of vague things about how they bring uh, Sigourney Weaver back. Mm. But uh, I think that's kind of like the, the final cruel nail in her coffin and how Fincher decides to end this movie. Because again, it's do it's doing the worst things imaginable to this character for two and a half hours, basically. But it does feel very in line with, the setting and obviously the tone of the movie mm-hmm. and it just being such a hostile film yeah. through and through mm-hmm. that for there to be a happy ending that wouldn't feel really in line with the rest of the movie. Yeah. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like right. there's no happy ending here. Right. Yeah. It definitely has that David Finch uh, style to it. Like, like you said, even in seven, there's no happy ending. Like that's just mm-hmm. kind of how his, the way his style of movie in, but I, I'm glad that they brought, they brought in uh, Bishop too. And, Yes, and that kind of that was kind of cool. Like, I guess he we get to see his real version because he was human. He got hit in the head and he was bleeding, so we get to mm-hmm. see that he was actually human, not a robot. And that was kind of cool how they brought they instead of coming to rescue them, they were actually you can see that they were focused on making sure that um, Ripley survived and that they were. I think they were aware that there was an egg inside her. Like, also, which I wish they would explain more how they how they figure that out, but. I, I'm glad that they brought that in at the end, kind of just to like show off, like these are not just robots, they're people. And we get to see more of the um, Wayne uh, Corporation, basically, because yeah. I think this is probably the first time we get to see people other than the ones she, she's stuck with from the company, yep. which is kind of cool. This is also the first movie where somebody says Whalen Yutani. Oh, is it? Like, yeah, because oh. like you said, they only refer to it as the company right. before this. And I mean, you see it on ships and you see it on structures and yeah, you see yeah. it in computer screens, but this is the first time anybody mentions Whalen yutani uh-huh. And it's an element that they definitely delve more into in Alien Resurrection, where they talk about Whalen yutani more and the company itself mm. is very central to the entire story. And that kind of opens up the conspiracy kind of angle and yeah. espionage angle where this company is, now we see what they're going to do if they get this kind of Right. Uh, species that they want to basically exploit for their own personal gain. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I loved seeing Bishop return. Yeah. Uh, who we find out is Wayland mm-hmm. and uh, Lance Henriksen obviously comes back to return. Yeah. Um, and just like little moments like that were great getting to see him again. And then we see that basically his creation was a better person than the actual Wayland. Is right. In the end, he's just there to exploit the situation. Right. Um, that was also a scene that, I think was added to the assembly of cut when they kill uh, eight, the prison guards that they call 85. Oh, yeah. Because his IQ is 85, yeah, yeah. apparently. 
Um, him attacking Wayland, I believe, was added to the assembly cut. Oh wow! Yeah, he um, fucking rocked him I, with a pipe. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. thought he was gonna die because that looked like he—that was a solid piece of pipe he hit him. I was like, oh, he's going down for real. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, and it was—I really like seeing the soldiers too. Mm, yeah, that the was Wayland cool. Yeah. Tani soldiers in the in the uh, like, space yeah, armor, yeah, space suit thing or winter winter armor. Yeah, basically, that was that was that pretty was awesome. cool. Yeah, that was—it's kind of cool. Yeah, you get to see a little glimpse of um the corporation because we don't really like we hear about it and like you know that they're basically behind everything but it's kind of cool mm-hmm. to I finally get to see a face put a face to it i guess yeah. yeah exactly that's one of those little things that it really speaks to the world building mm-hmm. of yeah. these movies and how drawn in you can get into them even though you're not given very much yeah. it's just it's a very interesting interconnected world that you always want to explore more with and i think that's probably why you and i like Prometheus and well, not as much as Prometheus, like alien covenant to a certain extent in that it's expanding and giving us more of the backstory and the details and all these little things. But uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up alien. Absolutely. Yeah. um, I'm really looking forward to doing alien resurrection. I think this is a movie that I didn't really give a fair chance the first time I watched it and was super underwhelmed, but I definitely enjoyed this more than I did previously. Yeah. I think again, it doesn't, it, does it Fincher does his best interpretation or version of the original mm. in a lot of ways while not being as nearly refined. Is is he directing the other one, the the fourth one or no? No, there's a different director oh. for Alien Resurrection. Yeah, no, this one is good. I felt like for me this one was um a movie that if if it was not connected to the alien world, it it's great. I think it's a great movie to watch. Uh the mm. fact that for me something about it like, like you, I mean, you said you had a good point where it's like he tries to bring it back to where back to the original one, which makes sense now looking into it, it's more darker, more gorier, more horror, I guess, compared to the second one. Uh, but for me, I don't know. It just doesn't. I don't know. It's it's completely. I, f- I think it's different from the original two. Yeah, his interpretation mm-hmm. of the tone of the original, yeah. while it never really matches it quite as well as it should, and mm-hmm. this is definitely the lesser of those two films, yeah. I think the previous ones, yeah. but at the same time, I mean, I've, I've, I've read a lot of negative things about this movie yeah. and I think that people were dunking on this for the sake of dunking on mm-hmm. it in a lot of ways, yeah. like saying it's atrocious and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. I think for the most part, like it, for the third entry in a series, mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, this, I think it has, good, its, yeah. it has its moments. Yeah. I think it's a good combination of the first two. I think it has a good action yeah. and, pretty creepy moments i'd say there's pretty like it's not as scary as the first one but it's still up there pretty creepy and gruesome um but yeah i mean i would say i I personally enjoyed the first one better the second one was all right oh absolutely but i it's definitely yeah it's all right for me as part of the series is it's nothing crazy but it's very enjoyable for sure i'd really watch it give it a couple of weeks but yeah i'll definitely rewatch. yeah i'm I'm gonna give it a while because yeah. i mean while it, the assembly cut is definitely the preferred version yeah. and i don't think i would ever watch the theatrical version right. i mean two hours and 25 minutes is a pretty long time right. for one of these. yeah um, i'll be interested to see how long alien resurrection is mm. but i'm looking forward to uh chatting about that with you next yeah, time yeah i'm excited to be back for it if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.